No, I don't think you're understanding me. You keep telling me big numbers, but I'm asking what's the biggest number. Welcome back to River Heights Radio. I'm Carl Hauser. And I'm Hope Bisby. We're back with another vacation. A little vacay for our bagpiping. Pond diving. Quicksilvering. Autographing. Internationally famous girl detective, Nancy Nancy Drew. Drew. What a story. What a story from the Scottish Isles. (laughs) It is truly a travel brochure to delight your senses. Harriet has been rewriting the lore slowly. Each novel, we get a little bit of, this has always been the way it has been. Just a little gaslight every book. But this one is where she really breaks it wide open and says, I'm letting my hair down. (laughs) It's a brand new Nancy Drew universe. So look forward to that. Nancy lass, would you fly off with me to the land of bagpipes and kilts? Mr. Drew asked with a grin. And how do you like my Scottish accent? That's he really... Teased. By the way, that's really good, Hope. Yeah, yeah, pretty that's good. That's so genuine and realistic. Well, Nancy thinks so, too. She says, it's very good. And, <laughs> and will I be wearing a kilt and dancing to the pipes? She countered, trying to imitate her father. So to be absolutely clear, uh, Carolyn has a lot of Scottish accents in this book, and she writes them phonetically. So you know that someone is speaking in a Scottish accent when their sentence is just chock full of little apostrophes. (laughs) You'll be solving a mystery, says Mr. Drew in his natural voice. (laughs) That's enough. We can have a little bit of fun and then we're back to business. Yeah, Carolyn didn't want you thinking about him in a Scottish accent for the whole book. This is his natural voice now. As you know, Nancy Drew's great-grandmother lives in Scotland. Sure, sure. That's where at least one branch of Nancy's family clearly came from. Oh, this is Nancy's maternal great-grandmother. Yes, so this is the more dead side. Lady Douglas, enormously wealthy, by all accounts. Another one of these old people who's like, I just want to leave my house to the government, to my state, to my Scotland, to my, you know, wherever. Yes, it's a historic landmark. But also, she wants to leave Nancy an heirloom. What is it? Well, we don't know. It's undisclosed? But we do know that it was lost. (laughs) Yeah, we don't know a lot about this heirloom, but we know we don't know where it is. So the deal is, Carson is going over to Scotland to do a bunch of legal, boring paperwork for Lady Douglas. Boring? I'm on the edge of my seat. Carson has to get signatures from members of the family while also asking for donations towards the maintenance of the estate? I mean, you could not go over more interesting legal briefings in Scotland. Yeah. While there, Nancy can do some sightseeing and solve the mystery of the missing heirloom. Carson's throwing her a bone on this one. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, I have to go to Scotland. Hannah wants some time off. Uh, you could solve the lost heirloom while we're there. Your grandmother misplaced her coat. You know, will that get you to come to Scotland? Will that will that do it for you? Ned is fresh back from South America. I want to come over and tell you all about it, says Ned. Sure, says Nancy. Come to dinner so that I can tell you that I am leaving three days from now. Yes. I've got something to overshadow that with. Now, pleasant-faced Hannah, as you well know, has been a mother and counselor to Nancy Drew all 
these years. They're not even saying like a mother. Straight up mom. Nancy's penchant for solving mysteries had brought fame and respect to the Drew household. She'd spent a great deal of her later teenage years helping people uncover mysteries. That's one of those rewrites, that it's not just this last year, it's not just 18. Suddenly she's been spending her whole teenage years? Yeah. Even though they've told us every book she's 18, yeah. we're doing a rewrite now. Also, is the implication that there was no respect for Carson Drew before she started solving these mysteries? Really? Nancy's the one who brought that. Okay. <laughs> Carson was a real bum before his daughter started solving mysteries. Mm-hmm. Nancy boasts about her great-grandmother, whose life has been fairy-like as a lady in Scotland. Yeah, I guess Nancy hasn't really met this person. She's just heard a lot of, like, really lovely stories. Well, Hannah just hopes that that heirloom isn't very big, because there are way too many trophies adding up in this household. Apparently it's canon that the Drew household is just chock full of crap that people have given Nancy for solving their little mysteries. I mean, we have to assume that the mysteries we read aren't the only ones she gets involved in. And if every time she finds someone's mail or whatever. They give her a tchotchke. Yeah, that's a lot to dust. These ones are just the ones that take place when she's 18, Carl. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Well, maybe we'll have to move the piano out, Nancy teased. Weird joke. Like, Hannah just doesn't want to dust one more thing. She's just like, please, I dust everything all the time. Does Hannah like to play piano? (laughs) Is Nancy threatening to take her favorite thing away for her little outburst? Oh, no. Ned does come over for dinner, and Nancy thinks that next to her good-looking, athletic father, this special friend of hers was the nicest man she knew. (laughs) You just, you can't, you can't get more Freudian, you know? He stood high in his classes at Emerson College, played football, and recently had been sent on a special assignment to South America. Maybe he did enter the CIA or something. Yeah, what, Ned, what are you up to? (laughs) Who are you selling insurance over there? Nancy, in case you get lonesome in Scotland and want a mystery to solve, I can tell you about one. So this is one of the main (laughs) two cases of the book. Arguably the, just the big one. Um, It's really, yeah, it's really the case. And I don't know how familiar listeners are with Sean the Sheep. But, but it, it's this is a it's a Sean the Sheep. It's basically the plot line where all the sheep get stolen all the time and they yep. can't figure out who's taking them. I love that Ned gets this mystery for her from like Time magazine or something. This is like the second time Nancy's just had a magazine give her a mystery. Yeah, because Ned doesn't want her to have time for boys is what it comes off as. Yeah. You may as well solve the case of the poor Gimmers says Ned. The what? Says Nancy. I'm with Nancy on this one. The poor Gimmers? <laughs> Gimmer is a young female lamb. How is this book not Nancy Drew and the poor Gimmers? I would have read that more quickly. The bagpipes, who cares? Tell me about the Gimmers. Just so long as Nancy is back by June 10th, Ned could care less. Yeah, he's got a strict schedule for her. There's a big wind-up party that his fraternity is throwing. They throw a party every other week. Why is this the one? It's been a while, but there have been a few books where he was making a big deal about how she better show up to the party. (laughs) Maybe we didn't notice. Maybe that's always the June 10th party. Nancy says it'll be fine. It's the middle of May, but she'll speed up her sleuthing. Ned also brought her a wooden monkey pin back from south america for good luck which i love because it keeps like it comes up a few times but it doesn't 
matter. Just then, Bess calls Nancy. <gasps> Bess is, as you know, a slightly plump, but, but very attractive very friend. Attractive. Much to Nancy's chagrin, Bess is very excited to tell her that she's won a photo contest, but she does not tell this story very clearly. She does not get to the point. And Nancy's like, Bess had to tell the story her way. <laughs> Nancy is not patient with the fact that Bess gets more than one line in this particular part of the book. Yeah. Bess took a picture of Nancy with her magnifying glass. Classic. A good composition. I mean, you can see the glint off the off the lens mm. and the probably the old lighthouse behind her and the Hardy Boys are in there. I don't know. It's a good picture. And then Bess had the audacity. The absolute. <laughs> to enter this photograph into a contest. Not just any contest, but a contest to be on the cover of an international photo magazine. Well, as you know, Nancy detested publicity. I mean, she just won't have it. But Bess is just so excited about how she'll be famous all over the world. And what did Bess win? But of course, two airplane tickets to anywhere. Nancy actually felt weak. Should I go undercover? Can I go out anymore? (laughs) Will I ever be able to solve another mystery? And I mean, my first thought is don't flatter yourself. Don't worry about it. Uh, No one cares about a photo magazine. No one's just going to recognize you. And boy, was I wrong. And poor Buzz, though. She's so genuinely excited. She's like, Nancy gives me so much. And I never get to be the one that calls her up and says, hey, maybe you and me should go on a trip. And Bess is just like so excited and Nancy's just like spacing out, thinking about going incognito. (laughs) Then all of a sudden she's like, I gotta go, Bess, because she hears a crash on the street. What has happened is a truck rammed her car, which was behind Ned's car, and now there's a pile up. Mm-hmm. This is her fifth convertible destroyed. Even though she's fond of her convertible, her thought is only if the driver is injured. But in the truck, there's no driver. And now she's just angry with a capital A. Ned set his jaw. This could even have been done on purpose. I like the scenario where it wasn't. And then they notice that on the truck, there's no license plates. And Ned says, that settles it! Done on purpose! I called it! Ned figures that out because Nancy's having an emotional moment. But she turns away from Ned and bites her lip so he won't see how upset she is. (laughs) Can't let him see you cry, Nance. (laughs) It is an interesting statement on femininity. Mm -hmm. You don't too often see level-headed Nancy have a moment of overwhelm. Mm -hmm. And it was a moment that Ned was like, look, but I can do detective work while you're busy being a woman. Ned's the River Heights detective in this book. They discover that even the engine number has been scratched out. That is forethought. I would not, I didn't even know there were engine numbers to scratch out. Nancy, if the police don't solve this mystery right away, how about I take a crack at it while you're over in Scotland? (laughs) There's this real vibe with this that Nancy's like, okay, I mean, I won't be here, so fine. But I can't imagine she likes it. No. That Ned would solve something for her. Okay, Ned, I'm sure you will. (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly, Nancy remembers that best was left hanging. Sure. Runs back, gets scolded by Bess, and then sympathized with by Bess. That's usually the order. And then she says, ah, Bess, you can be useful after all. Yeah, listen, uh, fine. You put me on the front of a magazine. Whatever. You won two tickets. Just use those to come along on my thing. Yeah. 
As if Carson wouldn't have just paid for that. So now George and Bess are coming to Scotland with her in three days. It's good that I have my old passport, says Bess. Yeah, and birth certificate. (laughs) The next morning, they have a breakfast of strawberries, bacon and eggs, and muffins. Now, if you think this is going to be the meal of the book and we're not going to get the weirdest Scottish meal you've ever heard of, you are wrong. With her breakfast, Nancy gets a letter, no address, printed. Postmarked in River Heights. Nancy, reading this, gasps. (gasps) Bad news, Nancy, Hannah asks? Yes, in a way. Yeah. This is a threat. Yeah, so. (laughs) Like, bad news, but like, honestly. Good news. Relatively. Good news, bad news, bad news. I'm being threatened. Good news, mystery. (laughs) This threatening note is so specific. I mean, kudos. It's gorgeously thematic. Your wrecked convertible is just the first of a series of accidents that will befall you and any car you ride in. Yeah, so, like, okay, you think if Nancy was doing, like, Nancy Drew goes to the Indianapolis 500, like, it would make sense that someone was like, watch out, all your cars are cursed. But no, there's no other car part of this mystery. And yet, on theme, this threat hits her in every car in this book. I just feel like this bad guy is a man of his word. (laughs) Yeah. He made this threat. He didn't expect to have to enforce it. But once it became clear that he would, he was going to. He didn't think about how stupid it was. He was like, God dang it. (laughs) Chase her off the road every chance I get now. How many cars could one girl have? She's 18. She's not going to have that many cars. (laughs) Also in the envelope for some reason is a tiny square of plaid cloth. Yeah, the calling card of Scotland. Well, specifically the Douglas clan. Yeah. Lady Douglas. The tartan of the Douglas clan. Anyway, I'm going to turn that note over to the police. Yeah, they'll want it. Toe goes back briefly as they take him for a walk. It's a nice moment. When they get back from their walk, they see a man in the backyard. Yeah, the classic, uh, the classic, we were away for a second and now someone's looking through our windows. Hannah says, whoever that person is, his business wasn't honest or he wouldn't have sneaked away. I agree, said Nancy. (laughs) There's only so many honest reasons to be skulking in someone's yard and looking through their windows. I feel like this book is just constantly convincing you that things are bad. Yeah. Like, in case you think that was innocent. Yeah. Think again. (laughs) Wait a minute, that wasn't the window inspector at all (laughs) hannah cried out something just started ticking in the mailbox jesus and yeah so this is non-stop we're Mm. we're a a chapter in now the last time there was a bomb in their mailbox carson was there and he knew stuff about bombs yeah he just hit the power switch or whatever this time nancy just thinks she knows things about bombs and hannah's like don't touch that and she's like i have plenty of time so she takes it out of the mailbox and throws it into the yard and it immediately explodes (laughs) nancy was moments from losing two hands Carson is angry. His yard. Nancy's eyes, though, detect scraps of paper, which she pieces together and figures out are a note. Hannah's like, well, I did hear the doorbell at one point, and nobody was there when I went there. So, like, apparently an anonymous person left a warning note in their mailbox before the bomb was added. Yeah, and then it got, what, stuck to the bomb? And, like, the best part is, can you imagine a scrap of paper after an explosion? Is it really so legible? But, like, yeah, it is. It said, Drew is going to bomb you. What? <laughs> Who or what is Drew? Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah's 
says she's really glad they're going to Scotland because it isn't safe. Not to live safe here. here. <laughs> Hannah, Hannah, Hannah. This will follow them. Even if I have a mysterious man for an enemy, I think I have an unknown woman for a friend. This looks like a woman's handwriting. <sighs> So the second novel in a row where we have a woman helper sending anonymous letters. Are we getting a pattern of like, it's the women are just pulled in by the evil men? Yes. It goes back a long ways in the series, but it's really getting plowed home right now. Nancy does turn over the note to Chief McGinnis. But not before doing the detectively thing and making a sketch of it. So she has copies. Chief McGinnis laughed. Is this a challenge, he asked? I hear you're leaving for Scotland in a couple of days. You'll have to hurry if you're going to beat us at solving this. Yeah, yeah, he's basically like, for the first time, you won't be here to solve it before we do. Little does he know that Ned is the new River Heights detective. Nancy goes knocking on doors to see if any strange Scottish people have been in yep. River Heights lately. Yep. She discovers her own face in one of the store windows. The store has put her magazine on center display. And what's more, she's not the only one to notice. She's so intent upon it that she doesn't notice a crowd. So children are surrounding Nancy asking her for autographs. Yeah, they've recognized her from this article and they're so excited. You're Nancy Drew, the girl detective. The first boy was very shabbily dressed and Nancy guessed that his family had little to spend on clothes. So between that and his big blue pleading eyes, how could you refuse him an autograph? So the autographs begin just for the kids because Mm -hmm. now the adults are clambering for them too. And she's like, no way, no how. Autographs are for children only. She's so angry that that same little boy sells her autograph to a man for one dollar. Yeah. But how could you be angry at him? He's clearly poor. Like, that was your assessment of him. She goes to stop the man from, like, having her autograph, I guess. And he runs off. He says, thanks, babe. This will come in handy. (laughs) It's like a cartoon. Yes. Waka waka. Instinct told her this was a person to be aware of. So, basically, you don't get credit as a child or as, like, a poor orphan child if you might be in cahoots with a person to be aware of. That boy has the audacity to ask for another autograph. Yeah. So, her first thought is, like, you know this guy. Don't tell me you don't. She tries her classic Nancy interrogation techniques on this kid. He swears he doesn't know the guy. My mother needs the money awful bad. (laughs) And she's still, like, gonna send Ned to investigate him later. So that shifty fellow who had the audacity to call Nancy babe was of medium height, thin, had a shock of black hair and red cheeks. She goes and stops by the pharmacy to ask one of her sources for info. He heard somebody call that man Pete. In fact, he also heard Pete on the telephone say, everything's Jake. I got that girl's autograph. Everything's Jake, Carl. Yeah, we had to we had to confirm with each other that that wasn't a typo. <laughs> I guess that's slang. The police are going to try to find Pete. Hannah invited Ned to dinner so he can say goodbye. I hope you don't mind my coming early, Nance, says Ned, <laughs> arriving just minorly early. We're on a we're on a pet name basis. He hands her the evening graphic which has a sensational story about her. So this in combination with that photograph is sure giving Nancy a name. 
Autograph Snatcher Enrages Girl Detective. Below is a large and not flattering candid snapshot of Nancy chasing the mysterious man. I thought it was gonna be a photo of her shaking that poor kid. <laughs> Just slapping him. <laughs> I thought you were keeping your sleuthing trip to Scotland a secret. I was trying to. Now everyone knows. Importantly, they list the heirloom as definitely missing, definitely not stolen, which is very sus to Nancy. Yeah, Nancy is of the opinion that someone may have stolen this heirloom, gotten a hold of her local paper, fed them information to throw off someone and convinced them that it was lost not stolen she's not wrong but boy what a weird series of choices for anyone to make nancy determines that the cousins didn't give away the secret neither did their parents i mean yeah ned gets very serious nancy do you want to go to scotland very much of course i do why do you ask he doesn't want her to go he received an anonymous telephone call a man evidently disguising his voice said if you expect to keep your girlfriend alive don't let her go to scotland i mean these people are covering all their bases these are the most thorough criminals yet no joke nancy realized the gravity and danger of the situation and though she reassured ned the threat would not keep her home she would be careful if she must ned laughed wouldn't you be surprised if i solved the mystery on this side of the ocean Yes, Ned, I would, yes. Nancy giggled. I dare you. But anyway, I'm sure you will play a big part in doing just that. Good boy. <laughs> when they pile into the car to go to the airport, Best George and Nancy burst into laughter. Uh, they all wore blue. Those crazy kids. We're three bluebirds. Well, you can't, you can't make this stuff up. Don't forget, says Ned, be back by June 10th. Yeah, yeah thank you. She gave him a quick kiss. I'll do my best. Bess, upon hearing about the mystery, says, It sounds dangerous to me. I'll concentrate on the beautiful scenery of Scotland. So once again, it's Bess's job to have a good time. George thinks it would be funny to say, And while you're daydreaming, one of the villains may sneak up from behind and kidnap you, fair cousin. Like, with how many kidnappings they've been through, I don't find Do we that still a joke about that? funny joke at all. Like, at all. Did you notice they introduced George as level-headed? Yeah, they've been doing that for a while. Which I find funny because classically we have been saying that George is the hot-headed and Bess is the cowardly and they're the two, you know, sides. But in this book, it really felt like they were like, oh yeah, George, she's Nancy's right-hand man. I feel like once we hit the 60s and maybe even a little bit before then, it's been she's the practical one, Bess is the romantic one. Of course, they get to go visit Aunt Eloise on their layover in New York. You just can't get on a plane without stopping in New York. The main upshot of that is Aunt Eloise teaches Nancy how to play Scots Wahey on the bagpipes. Scots Wahey will Wallace bled, Scots from Bruce has often led, welcome to your gory bed, or to victory. Of course Nancy learns the bagpipes in like a few hours. Uh, from what i understand it takes years to master like any of the bagpipes if you're not nancy drew (laughs) so on the plane at some point they're trying to get Bess to wake up and she will not have any of it george found it very difficult to arouse Bess. she was completely confused as to where she was and insisted that it was not yet time to wake up that is me in any scenario finally however when she saw rolls and hot drinks being served Bess became her cheerful self. Doesn't hurt. 
again, that is where I'm at. Often teased about her weight, she frequently declared, I'm going to begin dieting tomorrow. Do you, did you imagine that in just like a really sitcom way? Like, I'll start dieting tomorrow. Like she's Kathy or something. The automatic pilot m- malfunctions and they have to switch to manual. Yeah, like a brief uh, airplane crash scare. Very brief. They have a very friendly taxi driver. Now that we're in Scotland, we really get to read those accents. And I gotta tell you, Hope, I have no idea what people are saying. Hey, toy and day, day, say nay. (laughs) At the hotel, Carson Drew is taking forever to check them in. And Nancy is like, what's the holdup? She goes to investigate and her dad's like actually angry at the hotel clerk. I've never seen it before. You, uh, but you had my name on the registry. The hotel had marked his reservation Duar, pronounced Duar. Instead of Drew. We are to believe throughout this book that those names are similar. I can't even say them like they're the same. Nancy opens up her dresser to unpack her clothes and finds a note. A very strange note. It says, Rathid dig glass, slat long, mall, bean ball, gun ale. And what weird drawings, Bess remarked. Bess decides, mystery nothing. Some kid who stayed in this room made it. George nodded. The words sure sound like baby talk. I don't know what baby talk's like that, but okay. Even more insulting once you find out it's Gaelic. Yeah, you know when a kid's like, I get into Harish and Dagen. Nancy was inclined to disagree. Now, Nancy, don't be so dumb. Obviously, that's just some kid wrote that. It means nothing. It, it's just, it's it's nonsense. It couldn't be code. Just then, they find out they're in the wrong room. What? <laughs> Whose room is this? Some sort of dwarves? Luckily, Nancy has a photogenic memory and memorizes that note. Yeah, it makes it very clear that she, like, stares at it real hard before putting it away. This is when she reveals to the others that she thinks it's in code. Mm-hmm. They find out that Mr. Duar was black with rage when he found out that the rooms had been switched. Bess laughed. I suppose he thought we dropped face powder all over the place. Nancy doubted that this was the cause of his annoyance. She suspects he didn't want her to see the secret message. Yeah, Nancy immediately understands that he's got business and she should be in it. Carson reminds her that even legitimate business deals sometimes use code. People are reminding Nancy throughout this book that maybe it's nothing. And and in no point in this book is it nothing. Nancy was not convinced. Yeah. Do you suppose that the person who tried to warn us got Duar and Drew mixed up? I mean, if the person who tried to warn us is as dumb as the hotel clerk. My goodness, Nancy, said George. Your theories certainly are way out today. And yet correct. George, they're correct. Bess notices that a man is listening in to their entire conversation. From like the table over. Some sleuthing confirms that it was Mr. Duar himself. (gasps) Wait, Carson? Oh, you said Duar. Sorry, they're so close. So the plan for the next day is to rent a car and do some sightseeing, as Nancy, of course, has her international driver's license. She has a small car delivered to the hotel within a half hour of her asking for one. There's no other way to vacation. For a while, they were trying to make Nancy seem solidly middle class. And now we were back to like, nah, Nancy's rich. Right. This is big department store moves. And don't forget the left side of the road driving. 
I love that Nancy asks someone in this book, where where did where did such a custom start? Mm-hmm. Where, what an odd custom. Mm-hmm. As if most of the world doesn't drive on that side of the road. So Nancy sees some interesting sights that day, such as the University of Glasgow wow. with its symmetrical fine balance of towers. Or how about those bushy hedges? Hedges? Do we pull over to look at them? The monkey puzzle tree. <laughs> monkey puzzles and another car driving straight towards them could it be an american who forgot the left side of the road rule but he doesn't even get over when she honks nancy is forced to deliberately plow into some hedges Mm -hmm. the man holds his hand up in a way as he drives past so that they cannot see his face you know that awkward like you're walking past someone you're like oh look he's crazy george said angrily not so crazy that he'd let us see who he is best stormed nancy sat still without saying a word she had not yet recovered from her fright and i think it is rare for us to see bess and george recovering before nancy does true i suppose i'll have to pay for the damage nancy says but literally nobody in scotland will ever accept nancy's money this entire book nancy accepts things tries to pay for them and they say what kind of stupid shit is that do you think this could be another attempt to damage a car of yours it could very well be Uh, nancy agreed of course a woman comes out of her house her expression was severe but not unfriendly mrs gilmer is understandably dismayed at the state of her hedges however when she learns that somebody else caused this accident as evidenced by the tire marks nancy point like immediately points out all the clues that it wasn't her fault i'm dreadfully sorry this happened actually it was not my fault (laughs) the woman's expression changed to one of kindness nay nay i'm just glad y'all are safe see i don't know what any of that means (laughs) mrs gilmer fills them in with some local folklore and then they're on their way to the lake the lock there are some houseboats on the water they notice nancy specifically notices because one of the drawings on the note was of a houseboat oh Bess, meanwhile had been looking at the sky so she's aware there's a storm and it is a doozy of a storm of the book not before they see a statue of a little boy which is a memorial to a drowning victim <laughs> So another sight on their sightseeing trip. Mm -hmm. Like every bit of this storm sounds awful. Torrents of rain, the hugest gusts of wind. They can hardly walk. Yeah, this storm straight up lifts up one of these houseboats and deposits it onto the beach. Like not upside down, but like on its, like it just, it messes up this houseboat. You have to wonder the people living here, is this a regular thing? How often do houseboats just get fucked? On their way to rescue the occupants of the houseboat, Bess gets swept by the wind out into the lake where the waves knock her down again and again as she tries to escape. Mm -hmm. Nancy and George luckily are able to save her before going on to save the occupants of the houseboat. Nancy has to kind of jump down into the upside down houseboat. There's a little girl who's very dismayed because her mom's knocked out. Mm -hmm. Maybe dead. Bess is the one who tries to console the child. They do manage to revive her with some camphor. It's high stakes. Now, the mother is okay in the end and a bunch of neighbors show up to help. They're given a little information about the houseboat neighbors by the 
other houseboat neighbors who show up to help. Yeah, they recognize her from the magazine. Are you a detective? Here's a little bit of mystery for you. There are some weirdos living in that houseboat down there. The odd thing is that they weren't told it was going to be rented. They know it's owned by someone else. Right. And all of a sudden there's these other people living there. And listen, it is a weird thing. Go figure it out, call the cops. But can you imagine a detective like passing through your neighborhood and you're like, oh, you're a detective and you're passing by? You know, I have neighbors who are weird if you want to check it out. If you feel like it, if you got nothing to do. Despite this being a wonderful lead, Nancy is still groaning inwardly about being recognized. Yep. And this is the point in the book where I'm like, no, actually it's sealed. This is going to be a boon to you. Like it is clear at this point that it's going to be more helpful than harmful for you but nancy hasn't caught on yet they go snoop around the houseboat finding nothing the suspicious houseboat this whole time Bess is miserable after her swim the second book recently where Bess gets to be doused because of nancy's mystery Bess finally says can we just go home Bess, nancy said sympathetically you must have been horribly uncomfortable all this time yes i'll get you to glasgow in a jiffy so on their way back to their room nancy Nancy hears bagpipes playing Scott's Wahey. That's the one song Nancy knows. The sound seems to be coming specifically from Mr. Duar's room. Suspicious? Not really. But interesting? Not really. And he's not as good at it as Nancy already. Oh no, naturally. (laughs) Another one of the drawings on the note was apparently of a bagpipe. Yeah. Well, says Carson Drew, you're not gonna like this. But here's the evening paper. You have been described as the girl detective tourist. And here's your picture again. (laughs) Seeing it, she groaned outwardly this time. This is horrible, Dad. I don't want to be recognized. This is your life now, Nancy. Soon I won't be able to do any sleuthing in secret. (laughs) Carson helps lighten the mood by pointing out, it'll almost be like wearing a uniform and a badge. I think I'll get you one marked detective. Yeah, now you can really strong arm people, Nancy. Nancy really wishes they could find out who was behind these car episodes. At dinner, Nancy notices the waiter and also the busboy staring at her intently. Presumably because of the article. She's so famous. But we've always known that everywhere she goes, the men stare at her. That's true. Also, somebody wants an autograph and she rejects him politely by mouthing sorry at him. Mm -hmm. She was not going to give anybody else a chance to use her autograph in some unsavory scheme. The next morning, Mr. Duar has already checked out of the hotel. Nancy thinks, something tells me this isn't the last time I'll see Mr. Drew. Sorry, Duar. They also check out. They go visit the bagpipe factory. They learn such things as girls rarely play bagpipes. It's true. And Nancy also purchases a girl's Scottish outfit. After their visit at the factory, Bess remarked, It's all too complicated for me. I'll stick to the piano. I love that comment because of all the instruments, the piano is such a massively complicated one. Like, if you actually look at how it works, we're talking about a machine built to to hammer hammers onto strings. Yeah. It's the only instrument I could imagine that, like, rivals the bagpipe in its complexity. (laughs) Bess, after visiting the piano factory, I'll stick to the bagpipe. I'll stick to the kazoo. (laughs) So then they go to an old castle. 
and a tour guide takes them on a tour. Bess gets freaked out because they are shown a dungeon. Bess is just tired of hearing about sad, gross things. Upon Bess's request, they all leave the dungeon quickly, going back outside. It's then that they realize Nancy is not with them. Uh-oh. The worst tour guide ever has overheard a guy muttering to himself, I'm gonna get her. Yeah. As he entered the dungeon. Yeah, I don't know if that's helpful but I did see that. I guess he could have put her in the suffocation box. Yeah, I guess. There's a harrowing moment where everyone is convinced that Nancy has been put into this torture chamber and suffocated. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, she could be dead because of the guy who wanted to kill her. I don't know. (laughs) So my favorite thing, like, to add on to how terrible this guy is, is they don't find her in there. And then he says, well, I did leave for like five minutes. Why wouldn't that be the point? <laughs> I guess, I guess <laughs> in addition to being dead, she could just be somewhere else. And she was. Down in the dungeon, she ran into the guy, formerly thought to be named Pete from River Heights. He, upon seeing her, does not get her. In fact, he turns tail and runs. Mm-hmm. And she chases after him. She tries to get him. Of course, she's unsuccessful. She noticed that he jumped into a car that looked like the one that nearly hit them. And she recognized the driver of the car as Mr. Duar. So now we have a Petey and Duar connection. So those two are in league, said George. That proves they're up to no good. And somehow you Drews are involved. (laughs) Which sounds like she's accusing them of something underhanded to me. Well, they've all got the same name. (laughs) Well, Duar. Buzz says, I'll bet that man Pete would have pushed you into that seven-minute suffocation chamber when you weren't looking. And even though everybody kind of thought that a minute ago, George laughs scornfully. Ridiculous. With all of us around. Nancy, why do you think he dared come into the dungeon and risk being seen? Nancy's hunch is that he was just trying to eavesdrop. Looking for that open window to listen through. Nancy did catch the license number this time, but of course, it doesn't really lead anywhere. George was angry. It seems to me that every time we get near a solution, poof, it goes up in smoke. George, we don't even know what the mystery is yet. Like, hold your horses. Also, why didn't the guards stop Pete at the entrance gate? Bess asked Nancy. Nancy shrugged her shoulders. I guess it all happened too fast. Those guards are not trained on quick things. Well, I mean, to be fair, it's just like a tourist destination. Why are there guards? Like, are they armed guards? Who are these people? Oh dear, Bess gave a sigh. It seems to me all day long I've been learning about wars, bloodshed, and horrible punishment. Donald, the taxi driver, decides to lighten the mood by talking about a riddle that schoolboys in Scotland are often given. I I don't get it. And I I looked it up. I tried to figure it out, but you you posit this. (laughs) How many inches in the fourth? They guess varying depths of water, but are finally told there are only seven. Of course, they all say no big ships could travel in seven inches of water. Uh Then the person who is teasing them will say, but an inch, laddie, is an island. Oh, cried Bess. Donald, how could you? (laughs) I follow none of that. Inch is another word for island. So the riddle, yes. So in Scotland, apparently. Because I looked up Inch Island, and there is an Inch Island Mm -hmm. in Scotland. Yeah, because inch is another word for island. Okay. The riddle is to make them think you're talking inches of water, and then be like, ah, 
seven islands, seven inches. And they're like, oh, wow, what a pun. Okay, so the riddle is based on the idea that they know an inch is an island, but not well enough that when you say there are seven inches, they would get it. And you have to really lead them all the way there by saying what an inch is. Yeah. I think the boys in Scotland aren't the brightest. The rest of the sightseeing tour involves the Americans admiring the fine buildings and the extremely clean streets. At the new hotel, Bess is excited because there are luscious looking pastries in a multiple tiered cart. She beelines for them and everyone joins her. They just have pastries and tea all afternoon. Well, if everyone's enjoying it, I'm sure no one gets singled out about this. Unfortunately, George says to Mr. Drew, there will only be three of us at dinner tonight. When he inquired why, the girl's eyes twinkled and she answered, Bess has had hers. That's what you think, her cousin retorted. Two hours from now, I'll be ready for seven courses. Nancy giggled. They may serve only four. Not appreciated how Nancy, like, she's never the instigator of the cruelty, but she'll always join in with George, Mm. even if it's subtle. Next, Nancy receives an overseas call. She almost shrieked, Ned! Bess and George grinned and nodded their heads knowingly. I bet it's Ned. George and Bess continue to listen in on this phone call, picking up what bits and pieces they can about all the sleuthing Ned has been doing in River Heights. Which, by the way, is quite a bit. Ned figures out that Pete's full name is Paul Petrie, who Nancy still apparently can't recognize for the entirety of the book despite having the name having lived in town with this guy all her life you know old paul petrie (laughs) because he's wearing a wig but more on that later (laughs) paul petrie has never been in trouble with the police but he isn't very well regarded yeah you know people still don't like him though so he's a bad guy he had a few near brushes with the law when some of his checks bounced ned that's clever detecting nancy exclaimed He also brought the anonymous warning note to Professor Webster at Emerson. Oh, the professor of handwriting. As well as teaching archaeology. Well, sure. So if if this is a Mesopotamian note, we'll know that as well. Ned and him have had many discussions about how the formations of letters is an indication of one's character. Sure. You mean, said Nancy, a bold vertical handwriting usually belongs to a literary person, and a jerky slanted to the right letters are a sign of nervousness? What? No. And this happens several times in the book. It's usually Bess doing this, like, repeaty thing that's like, you mean, and then, like, just says the thing in a That thing. is to say. Different words. Yeah. Yeah, so we get confirmation from uh, old professor that Nancy was right. This is the handwriting of a lady. But that's not all. Yeah, they figured it had been written by a somewhat shy, motherly person, probably elderly. And from the type of paper used, Ned deduced that she lived in a middle-income area of town and might shop locally. So what he does is get his young cousin to go with him to the local markets where he assumes this woman would shop for her groceries. He stands with his cousin near the register, Mm -hmm. waits for an elderly woman to be checking out her items, and then starts talking about bombs. Yep. Until he finds a woman who gets very nervous, trembles violently. And sure enough, Mrs. Morrison admits to having left the note. Basically, she rents rooms. She was walking past a room when she heard something about a bomb and the Drew 
Rose and a lawyer. She pieces it together as maybe being their house. She doesn't know who really said anything. And she feels foolish reporting this because... She is like, why would they want to bomb themselves? Maybe it's a family feud? Yeah, because she hears it's the Drews. She also hears Duara's Drew. Yeah. Bess and George, meanwhile, having caught snatches of Ned's big news, could hardly wait for Nancy to finish the conversation. (laughs) Off the phone, Nancy says, at dinner, I'm going to ask Dad if we shouldn't notify the police. Well, I think it's about time, said George. At this point, Nancy has decided Mr. Duar is the head of the gang. Obviously not Petrie. Old old Petey Petrie now. He's probably carrying on some kind of underhanded scheme that he doesn't want my dad and me to investigate. Naturally. It was her guess that the whole affair had something to do with smuggling. Why not? I mean, that's what- It always does. Always. Bess said, we started out with a nice little mystery. Now we're mixed up with smugglers and bomb planters and goodness knows what else. To be fair, the first mystery was my aunt lost in bobble, so. Yeah, that's Bess's speed. (laughs) Mr. Drew agreed that the police should be notified, and Nancy did that right after eating. The police go and investigate the houseboat, and those strange men who had been living there were not supposed to be living there, but they left a note that was like, here's your rent, and left some cash on the table, just to make it look legit. Which is always nice. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All of the police of Scotland have been alerted. Strange men on the loose. The next day, we find out the best is fond of kilts. Yeah, I'm sure glad they came back into style. They look so good on men. Men look so picturesque wearing them. Mm -hmm. George teases her. Bess, you should have lived a couple of centuries ago and been carried off by a romantic knight and had him pin a corsage of thistles on you. That's the national emblem. (laughs) Thanks for that lesson, George. I'm not just teasing you. I'm also smart. On this sightseeing day, we also learn about Jenny Geds, who got mad at the bishop for views he was proclaiming and hurled her stool at him. Starting the Scottish Civil War, apparently? She was a courageous soul, George. Commented. I don't know who Jenny Geds is. I don't know if we're on her side or not. I don't know what views the bishop was proclaiming. Yeah. It could easily be a pretty badass story if Jenny Geds was standing up for women or something. But if the bishop was just like, love your neighbor, and she was like, I want to, I won't do that. And she threw her, you know, threw her stool at him. Is that a good Scottish accent? <laughs> no. Well. As they're touring, George suddenly <clears throat> remarked, I have a hunch the man back there is following us on purpose. Oh! He had reddish hair, side whiskers, and a beard, and he wore a kilt. The red-whiskered man. He wore a kilt and a navy blue Balmoral. He looks vaguely familiar, Nancy said, it's, but I can't place him. It's the return of the vaguely familiar man. So George deduces that if Nancy thinks she knows who the man is, but doesn't recognize him, it might be because he's wearing a disguise. The only possible reason. Her plan is to run up to him and try to rip his beard off. Oh, George, Bess protested. You wouldn't dare try pulling off that man's beard. Wouldn't I, George retorted. <laughs> you just watch me. If he's one of Nancy's enemies, I want to find out just who he is. Thanks a million, George, says Nancy. But we Americans had better not cause any disturbance here. <laughs> no more international incidents, George, please. George whispered, let's turn and walk toward him to see what happens. So they do that. He lets them pass him and then he turns around and follows them. (laughs) Then they decide, okay, let him follow Nancy. Bess and George are going to follow him. Mm -hmm. It all gets very convoluted, but Bess ends up following him until he ducks into a courthouse. 
It's from this point on that he is referred to as the red-bearded stranger. Now, Bess can't follow him into the courthouse. She's stopped by security at the door. She doesn't have a security pass? Boy, I thought it was going to be interesting when we found out why this guy's got a security pass. He just stole it. And of all people to, like, accidentally try to go into a building that she needs a pass for, poor Bess. She's just humiliated. Right. She can't handle that kind of rejection. Nancy is cudgeling her brain, trying to figure out why she knows that man. Again, because he's Paul Petrie, who she knows. In a wig. Yeah. (laughs) They go to another castle with a very long table. Bess imagines sitting all the way across the table from your husband. Wouldn't even have to talk to him. Mr. Drew reveals that he has invited a new person to their dinner. Like halfway through the book, we just pick up a new character. A charming girl. I'm sure you girls will like her. So I invited her to have dinner with us. Fiona Fraser proved to be all that Mr. Drew had prophesied. She was a beautiful girl, tall and slender with rosy coloring, black hair, and big friendly blue eyes. Nancy, Bess, and George became very fond of Fiona, and she in turn seemed to like them very much. All very idyllic. Mm -hmm. Nancy likes Fiona so much that she tells her about the mystery they're trying to solve. The ultimate compliment. You can still change your mind about going along. (laughs) The Scottish girl laughed. I love the sound of it, and I like excitement. While at dinner, a woman comes up to her and starts talking to her in a language that Nancy does not recognize. Gaelic. What a pretty language, said Nancy. And uh, I guess assumes Fiona's going to teach it to her. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. As they drive along. It turns out that that strange message, as aforementioned, was in Gaelic. Ah, the baby talk is Gaelic? So Fiona is going to be quite helpful in terms of decoding that message. However, I will say what a convoluted message. In, In true code fashion, the guy who wrote it doesn't speak Gaelic. You mean he used a dictionary? Yeah. It's all just like pieces of what he wants to say in kind of Gaelic words. But then that too is in code. So like the message itself doesn't make sense. Yep. And they spend the whole book guessing different things. And then when the bad guys explain at the end, it is so confident. Yeah, they were they were like vaguely correct. I think the first two words are like car and ditch. Mm-hmm. And Nancy says, oh, that's probably a reference to putting my car in that ditch. And it wasn't, but it might as well have been. Wife member without stamp might mean that one of their wives came in illegally. Yeah, someone, yeah an illegal immigrant. That's not actually true, but she doesn't have the stamp of approval for the group. She isn't going to be let in on the sheep scheme. <gasps> Did I mention sheep? <laughs> So this whole time they've been driving and then they go on to a ferry and they go across the river and now Nancy is driving them down the ramp on to dry land, of course, again. She found herself fairly close to the edge of the cobblestone roadway, which led up from the water. There was no rail and on either side below, a marshy growth of reeds protruded from the surface. Look out! Bess cried out. Nancy glanced in her mirror just in time to see the man behind her put on a burst of speed. The red-bearded stranger. He gave her car a hard shove. The steering wheel twisted in Nancy's hands and before she could do anything, the girl's convertible shot off into space. It lands in the pond. All the other girls go flying from the car into the pond. Nancy holds tight to the steering wheel and manages to stay in the car. Yeah, I don't fully understand how that happened. Did he shove it with his hands or with the car? With his car. Okay. And then he drives off. I misread that. (laughs) (laughs) I thought he... (laughs) 
thought he physically shoved. Well, you may have been confused because some guys offered Nancy to just lift her car up and bring it they to do. shore. That's it's right. a light car after all. That's right. It's just a little convertible, a little water in there. She says she'd feel more comfortable if a tow came. Yeah. And then again, she offers to pay for the help. And no, no, no. This is Scotland where everything's free for pretty young Americans. They also stay with Mrs. Drummond for free for the night. Mm-hmm. George feels dumb for not spotting the red bearded stranger on the boat. Maybe he didn't have his beard on. At Mrs. Drummond's place, they have a cockadecky soup of leeks and a boiling hen. Then, mutton stew filled with potatoes and small white turnips. There was kale as a side dish, and for dessert, a bowl of steamed bread pudding filled with currants and topped with custard sauce. See, that is the meal of the book. That was a marvelous meal, Bess declared. I'm stuffed. But you must have a treacle dotty, Mrs. Drummond insisted, and brought out a jar of, like, brown sticky balls, which the girls all loved. Yeah, that's that's just a little bit of haggis short of being the most Scottish meal you can have. <laughs> when they go to bed at night, they each have an enormous hot water bottle in their bed, which Fiona said was called a pig. Mmm, feels wonderful, Nancy thought, as she cuddled, giggling down among the covers. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, after I read this book yesterday, when I went to bed, I was regretting not having a hot water bottle at my feet. (laughs) That sounds nice. I feel like we should bring it back. She slept soundly until midnight, and then was awakened by the sound of bagpipes. What song, you may ask? What could it be? Scots Wahey. Scots Wahey? someone playing the pipes at this time of night and not playing the tune very well. (laughs) Two two things are weird about this. I'm going to find out what's going on, Nancy decided. She goes out and sits on a bench where she sees a truck speeding by and hears a single lamb bleeding mournfully. A single bleat, yeah. And she says, that must be the sheep smugglers. Just then, two swiftly running figures da- dashed up, ex- obscuring her view rudely. It's Bess and George who were worried about her. G- g- guys, I'm Nancy. watching the morning smugglers. Nancy, you scared us silly. <laughs> Nancy also heard a whistle, but said, you can't do that with the bagpipes, can you? Oh, but you can with the uh, chanter part. I guess. I, I've never been in a bagpipe factory, so it was all over my head. <laughs> the reed for a chanter could be split to make any kind of sound one wished. I can't imagine that's true. But, says Fiona, I don't see why anyone would go to the trouble of doing that. 
Nancy did not reply, but felt that there might indeed be a very good reason. If it were a sinister one, she certainly hoped to find out what it was. Mm. So, upon Nancy's suggestion, they warn all the shepherds that maybe some of their sheep had been stolen. It turns out that a large number had disappeared last night from one of the farms. Well, Bess and George say, if all these sheep were stolen, why did you only hear one lamb? It's Nancy's guess that these these sheep are being knocked out. Yeah, Nancy points out that the truck she saw pass isn't really big enough for a lot of sheep to stand in it. So what makes the most sense is that the sheep are all knocked out and then they're just thrown into this truck like bags of laundry, stacked up like cordwood, and just transported in a big lump of sheep. And that is a funny picture to imagine. As the book points out, thieves are never kind, gentle people. As a thief, I resent that, but okay. It's it's suggested that Nancy now go to the police, but she thinks they might think her idea is far-fetched. <laughs> and it is, but true. <laughs> Let's wait until I have some concrete evidence. More people won't take Nancy's money. Of course. Fiona says, if you can solve the mystery of the stolen sheep, that will be wonderful pay for all of us. At the art museum, the girls see some kind of setup where it looks like there's a bunch of dots of paint on like a canvas. But if you look at this setup of like mirrors, you can see a painting. Uh, Have you seen those before? No. They're really fascinating. I got to see a bunch of them in Spain. I got to see some of them at the Dali Museum, and it's really fascinating how they're how they're done because they're all spread out. You cannot see what they are until you look down into this cylinder. The way it stretches what it's seeing makes it look normal. They could see the reflection of a handsome young man in Georgian clothes, the famous Bonnie Prince Charlie. Now, when Bonnie Prince Charlie was ousted from his throne, not everybody liked that, including Flora MacDonald. She had the prince disguise himself in her maid's clothes, which enabled him to escape and return to France. How romantic, Bess murmured. And oh, isn't he handsome? Now this is, you said, in Game of Thrones, or? (laughs) Fiona giggled. Yes, but history tells us he did not marry until he was 52. (laughs) Says better late than never. Oh, sure. (laughs) As long as it happens eventually. At this point, they are close enough to the Douglas house, to Lady Douglas's home. But Fiona says, okay, we'll split ways here. At which point, instantly, Nancy, Bess, and George urged her not to leave them. If you're not in a hurry to get home, said Nancy, I'd love to have you guide us around. That will be very helpful in our sleuthing. We need a fourth girl, come on. (laughs) Fiona's excited to meet Lady Douglas as well. Nancy is... Super excited to meet her great-grandmother, who she's heard a lot about and never met. So they're driving along up up a mountain into the highlands. Mm -hmm. And it's a very thin road. And Bess is worried, what if another car tries to chase us off the road? All we have to do now is go off of a mountain. Mm -hmm. Don't worry. They have pull-offs here. Oh, good. They also notice gorse bushes. Uh, apparently the gorse bush blooms the year round. There is an old saying that when gorse stops blooming, kissing will go out of style. I don't exactly understand the next part. George remarked with a twinkle in her eyes, Bess, how about you're taking home a couple of bushes to plant? Bess tossed her head. What's the matter with kissing? Well, you see how Bess didn't understand the saying. Well, but like, George seems to think she's saying something too. Yep. And so I don't know. I guess the implication is the gorse bush wouldn't survive in River Heights. 
and then kissing would go out of style for Bess specifically? If Bess puts the gorsh bushes in River Heights, she'll see that kissing isn't going out of style, so she'll have to stop kissing like it is. <laughs> Bess is in love with the Highlands. She thinks they're great. Nancy, I don't see why you and your father don't come here to live. Which yeah, get the hell out of River Heights. Yeah. <laughs> Fiona says, Mm, I, it's great this time of year, but it's lonely the rest of the year. Nice to visit. But you like it, George points out. <laughs> when you're brought up in the Highlands, then you do. No one wants Nancy to move there, I guess. The Douglas house is amazing. Mm -hmm. Like, it just sounds truly decadent. Mm -hmm. First, we're introduced to the butler, whose name is Tweedy. Yeah. Tweedy, Nancy thought. I love it. I, what a condescending thing to think about someone's name. Mm -hmm. Oh, I like, I'm glad you named your butler that. Nancy curtsies when she meets her great-grandmother for the first time. Her great-grandmother says she doesn't need this medieval courtesy and to just call her great-grandmother. Call me granny. There's also a Hannah equivalent in this house. It looks just like her in a maid's dress. And which a, a different hat. I assume gives Nancy ideas about how she'll be dressing up Hannah in the future. Oh no. <laughs> Nancy found herself feeling that she had known her great-grandmother for years. There was an instant sense of closeness between the two. I thought they were going to like show more than tell. Like maybe her grandma was going to have some big place in solving the mystery or something mm -hmm. like that. But No, she's just a nice lady. Although eager to hear more of the missing heirloom, Nancy refrained from bringing up the subject. Finally, Lady Douglas brings it up on her own. The heirloom in question is a brooch with a large topaz in the center, surrounded by diamonds. Diamonds. Nancy gasped. What a gorgeous item. I assume. What a wonderful gift. It must be gorgeous. The brooch belonged to one of Nancy's ancestors, none other than the Bonnie Prince Charlie. <laughs> From the picture. <laughs> From the wonky picture. Oh, Bess exclaimed, the handsome, romantic young man who got away in a maid's disguise. <laughs> Lady Douglas smiled. He is the one. So the absolute nonsense of this heirloom mystery. Lady Douglas said, hmm, I better check out that brooch I'm about to give to Nancy Drew. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Ah, I'll pin it to my little dress here. Isn't it pretty? You gotta try it out. You gotta wear it. Oh, I'm gonna go for a little walk. Doopa 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 doopa. Get your brooch some sun. Oh, now I'm tired. boop a doop a doop a doop Long walk. Hangs it. her dress back up into her wardrobe. Sure. Without removing the brooch that she usually keeps in a safe. Uh-oh. Goes to sleep. Oh, no. In the morning, it's gone. But the, the kicker is that they have looked everywhere. Everywhere yeah. along her walk. You are sure you lost it, Nancy asked. Her relative asked Riley. You think I might have absentmindedly misplaced it? Is there an inference here that there's a difference between losing and misplacing something? No, great-grandmother dear, Nancy answered. I wondered if it might have been stolen. stolen. Lady Douglas looked somewhat startled. But there was no one here except Tweety and Morag. They are my only two servants and both are strictly honest. I don't know if we mentioned that the maid is named Morag, <laughs> but she is. I wasn't thinking of them. Nancy said quickly. Perhaps your brooch did drop off outdoors and some outsider who came here found the jewel and took it. A finder doing a keeper? That is a possibility, of course, Lady Douglas replied. But not many people come to this lonely spot. 
I had a fine watchdog, but the dear creature died the very night I lost the brooch. Isn't that weird? How? Like, of all the coincidences to ignore. I don't think it was stolen, but I did notice that my watchdog died, had no injuries, as if it had been poisoned to death. <laughs> That's so weird. I don't know. There are tire tracks all over my yard. Someone had been doing donuts. Could be anything. Nancy decides to go do some investigating, and she finds some deep boot prints, which are clearly made by a man who is heavier than Tweety. Unless Tweety was carrying a heavy brooch. Tweety, do you realize that these boot marks might belong to someone who was here the night Lady Douglas lost the brooch, and that the same person might have killed your watchdog? The man looked startled. Champion, good dog name, Champion didn't look as if he had been hurt, and we couldn't figure out what caused his death. We figured he was just surprised to death. Suddenly, Nancy recalled her theory about the sheep thieves. Maybe they anesthetized the dog to death. Oh no, says Nancy. So far, the thief has only taken the brooch. What if they come back to do a really big theft job? That'd be crazy and weird to do, but okay. No, Tweety says proudly, stretching up to his full height. <laughs> there are burglar alarms on every window and door in this baby. You can't steal anything that the woman of the house doesn't drop outside. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm glad to hear that, Nancy replied. Nancy, however, confides with the girls that she's convinced that the brooch has been stolen. Mm -hmm. One thing puzzles me, George declared. If the thief who took the brooch got away safely, why would he or any of his gang try so hard to keep you from Scotland. George? The question of the book. George, <laughs> you have cut to the heart of it. <laughs> there is something bigger involved. My heirloom may only be an incidental aspect. Yeah. This may be a wild theory on my part, but I believe now that the same men who are stealing sheep took my brooch. And why not, I guess. There's no reason. No. They're not even in the brooch stealing business. <laughs> Fiona looked at the young sleuth admiringly. I can see why you are an internationally known girl detective. It's because you're terribly paranoid. <laughs> You weren't right so often, they'd think you were a raving lunatic. <laughs> Nancy's saying her theory, and Bess was thoughtful. In other words, Paul Petrie from River Heights, the mysterious Mr. Duar, and the red-bearded man are in the sheep racket. Well, Nancy nodded. Getting gimmers? <laughs> She's almost right. Two of those people are the same person. <laughs> Is it Mr. Duar and Mr. Drew? Nancy was not ready to stop talking about the mystery. Yeah, she never is. Nobody said she was. Yeah. There was no reason to Don't include ask you to that. Be. <laughs> That's right, said Fiona. If the authorities are looking for missing live sheep, perhaps they wouldn't be looking for wool or hides. So Why? The theory is now that these sheep are being massacred. <laughs> I I love the idea that any any law officer would be like, well. When, uh, when this missing person was lost, were they alive? Yeah. Okay, so we're not looking for a dead person. <laughs> I would never consider that if I'm looking for a live sheep, it may be a dead sheep. <laughs> Those are two different kinds of sheep. Nancy wants to go back to Mrs. Drummond's house, where she last heard that bagpipe. Fiona has a better idea. Why don't they go camping near that area? There is, in fact, a mountain that people like to race up and down. That's a cool sport. Of all the sports they've watched, 
I think mountain racing is the most interesting. George was intrigued. How high is the mountain? About 4,400 feet. Best looked aghast. You say they run up? <laughs> I love that later it's actually George that struggles more running up this mountain than Best does. Yeah. George grinned. I want to see that place, mystery or no mystery. <laughs> Next, Lady Douglas gives them a tour of the house, ending in the attic where they can collect whatever they want as camping gear. Because she understands that Nancy Drew is <laughs> owed an attic. <laughs> Nancy's like, whoa, this is a nice attic. Apparently it's where they used to play billiards. Yeah, it's not like, an, it's not just a storage attic. This is a, uh, this is a fully furnished attic. There are a bunch of different kilts from all the different clans that Nancy is related to. Yeah, they all choose the tartans that are uh, the colors of their personality. And it specifically goes into why each one matches them. Listen, I'm not that Scottish, but in the end, it sounds like they're all plaid. You're sure you don't mind our borrowing these? Nancy asked her great-grandmother. They may become soiled or torn on our camping trip. I'm going to be rough on your clothing. Lady Douglas assured her that the costumes were not valuable and had been worn many, many times before. Morag admired the girls as they started off. Hey, and ye be looking like Bonnie Highland lassies for sure. I don't know what you're saying, Morag. Stop it. So they go until they see a group of hikers racing up and down the mountain. There are four boys dressed in white trunks and jerseys with their school insignia. One boy, seeing Fiona, flags her down and says, wish me luck. Apparently that's her distant cousin. Mm. And he matches the best time that's ever been done running up and down this mountain. So that's pretty cool. They describe that the really dangerous part is running like full pelt. Down, down the mountain That's i would imagine part. so mm -hmm. he invites them to join him in a group of campers over by the river the americans were made to feel at home at once didn't even have to pay as they're talking and eating above the hum of conversation nancy but no one else becomes aware of distant music sure enough it's those bagpipes playing Scots, what have ye. <laughs> you have to imagine if you live in Scotland, eventually you just tune out all the constant bagpipes. Bring your sons in several chains, we will drain our dearest veins, but they shall be free. Lay the proud usurpers low, tyrants fall in every foe, liberties in every blow, let us go or die. Could it possibly be piped by Mr. Duar to let his partners know I'm in the area? Nancy mused. I can't imagine a scenario in which it's not about you, Nancy. But it ends up not being the case. I know. <laughs> I know. At any rate, Nancy would like to climb the mountain and look for clues to that mysterious piper. At once, Bess said, you might be walking right into a trap. Could be. Nancy smiled. If you'll all come with me, there shouldn't be any danger. George said practically, that's the only way I'd let you go. Sometimes George is more possessive than Ned. She's the bodyguard. Nancy and Fiona forged ahead, but George and Bess did not make such good time. Finally, Bess caught up. Where's George? Nancy asked. Bess replied that her cousin had wanted to take a faster route to the ridge, and she wouldn't wait. At that moment, the trio heard George scream. They whirled about and gasped in horror. Uh, yeah, a stranger, like, 
pushed her really hard. It was the same one who had forced their car into the water. The red, the red bearded man. man. The red bearded man again, Bess cried out. <sighs> His shove knocked George to the ground, but the next moment she started rolling down the steep slope, head over hills. Yeah, that's how it goes. She kept rolling and tumbling rapidly down the mountainside. Like as a cheese wheel. She did not end up needing rescuing. The ground leveled out a little bit more and she just dug her heels in and managed to stop. Does that mean she landed on her feet? Because that's pretty badass. The first thing Nancy asks upon reaching her is, are you hurt? Before George could reply, Bess spoke up, is she hurt? Look at those scratches. We must get to a doctor right away, George. Don't be silly, George said firmly. I feel as if I just had a good beating, but there's nothing more serious the matter with me. Oh, what a good beating. <laughs> When we get back down, I'll have a good old cleanup in the river. Then I'll be fine. I'd like to catch that red-haired fellow who pushed me. Yeah, I didn't love that. Suddenly they all realize Fiona's gone. Mm. There's a little bit of worry as they try to find her. Then they find her kind of sneaking around as if she doesn't want to be seen. Kind of shady. For half a minute I was like, what's Fiona's game here? Was there someone Nancy befriended who was actually a bad guy? But no, she like chased the red-haired man into the forest and tried to see where he went. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're teaching me to be a detective, she said. Anyway, I figured that since the red-beard man was running in this direction maybe you know i should do that <laughs> i didn't see mr redbeard which is my favorite nickname yet he sounds like a pirate now i didn't see mr redbeard but i want you all to look down there in the narrow glen below them was a flock of sheep Fiona points out that it's really weird for a flock of sheep to not have a collie, which we kind of learned about earlier in the book. Yes. Fiona, you're wonderful, Nancy cried. This is an excellent clue and we should report it to the police. We can't. From here. We'll have to wait until morning. No signal. Also cell phones have been invented. <laughs> well, Bess says... Since you have been alerted, Nancy, Redbeard won't dare make another move. So for the time being, the sheep won't be taken away. I don't know if that tracks. Bess's reasoning seemed sound, so the girls left the spot, made their way back to the summit, and down to the river. Yeah, that doesn't seem so sound. Also, it should have tipped you off that Bess said that. That's not, that's not low-headed at all. <laughs> well, here's the party of the book. The Scottish campers entertained for the three American girls. First, there was group singing of Scottish songs such as Scots Way Hey, Annie Laurie, My Love is Like a Red Red Rose, The Banks of Dune, Sweet Afton, and Auld Lang Syne. Cotton Eye Joe. Next, there were reels and jigs. Finally, they do a jig that is apparently in Nancy's honor called Miss Nancy Frowned. What fun, said Nancy, and watched closely. Honestly, reading about this party, what fun is my question too. Presently, one of the girls dropped out and insisted that Nancy take her place. <laughs> the American girl, although a good dancer, found the steps a little difficult. A little difficult. At first. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Nevertheless, the whole group clapped loudly. And next we find out Fiona can sing like a bird. Ooh. Farewell to the highlands, farewell to the north, the birthplace of valor, the country of worth. Wherever I wander, wherever I rove, the hills of the highlands forever I love. 
Then they have the obligatory midnight snack and go to bed. But Nancy could not sleep. Too much on her mind. She thought the sound of the rushing water might have a lulling effect, but instead it seemed to be talking to her. I can almost hear it telling me I'm on the fringe of a big discovery. Nancy. Sheep Nancy. An hour later, Nancy was startled to hear a distinct whistling that she was sure came from a bagpipe. Or at least the canter. She gets up, goes and looks down into the valley, and partially screened by the mist, Nancy saw the silhouette of a piper. Had the piper been a phantom or a real person? Definitely one of the two. They had to fit a ghost in somewhere. Yeah, I'm going to guess a person. Well, you're on the Scottish Highlands. You need a phantom. There's no way of my stopping them, Nancy told herself ruefully. Even if all we campers climbed the mountain to find out, it's so far we'd be too late. Mm -hmm. She shaved under her helpless position. But finally, sheer weariness overcame her, and she dropped off to sleep. Just imagine Nancy shaking her fist. Damn you! She falls asleep. She wakes up first in the morning, has to wait for Fiona to get up. Right away is like, let's go see if those sheep are still there. Not one sheep was in sight. They dared? They dared make a move? (laughs) Fiona points out an abandoned croft. They go inside, and clearly somebody's been living here. So then they feel like intruders, which they are. They are. So they're about to leave when Nancy's eye was attracted to an open book on the table. Now, if it were a better clue, I would feel it was justified. (laughs) But all it is is a Gaelic to English dictionary. (laughs) And she goes through this dictionary, determines that every single word from that secret code message is underlined, which okay. It's a pretty silly way to use a dictionary. She says, okay, I'm gonna leave this on the same page it was on so nobody knows I was here. Don't know. But in the process of trying to do that, she realizes her autograph is underneath the dictionary. (gasps) sitting on the table. She doesn't like this one bit. She doesn't want to leave it there. But then she decides again, I shouldn't disturb the scene. I should put it back. Undetected. It took both Nancy and Fiona a few moments to realize what a great discovery they had made. It's it's a place where a guy was looking at Gaelic. (laughs) Nancy was in a quandary. Although pieces of the puzzle were beginning to fall into place, she was now doubly worried about her involvement in the mystery. Back at camp, she quickly whispers her exciting news to her cousins. They return home to find Lady Douglas walking in the garden. She was surprised at their early return and exclaimed, Don't tell me you have solved the mystery. Well, bad news. No, great-grandmother, Nancy replied, but we think we have a valuable clue. I want to report to the police immediately. Oh, how convenient, because the police also want to talk to you. They would like to talk to you, Nancy. And Lady Douglas is just like, the very idea. She's so offended that the police want to talk to her granddaughter. Yeah, yeah. Nancy's like, ah, it's okay. I'm going to talk to them. Lady Douglas is on that ACAB train. Whenever Nancy gets any recognition in the newspaper, somebody ends up forging a bunch of checks, (laughs) impersonating her. Being her twin. It's not easy being famous. <laughs> this happens to anyone who's ever been in a newspaper. Yeah, so the police are here to, what ar- would like to arrest Nancy Drew for blatant check bouncing. Not only ha- has her signature been used, but 
the people who she's bounced checks with can identify her by her picture in the magazine. So that's the little girl who bounced checks with us. Now there's a good cop. A young, pleasant-faced cop who clearly believes Nancy from the get-go, named Anderson. But there's also a bad cop. A mean old geezer called Buchanan, who thinks that Nancy is probably lying. Do you think the Scottish police are also Irish? Or is that just American police? (laughs) They tell Nancy that she's basically under house arrest. Her and her friends are under house arrest. Yeah, I love this. They end up, like, negotiating. They're really open to negotiation. They're like, well, you can't leave the house. Lady Douglas spoke for the first time. If I say I will take full responsibility for Miss Drew and her friends, will that satisfy your superintendent? Nancy realized that the situation had reached a ticklish stage. <laughs> They're like, all right, well... Uh, Obviously, Buchanan doesn't want to tick off Lady Douglas. I mean, she's... Oof, she wealthy. is Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> The young sleuth has a sudden inspiration. She calls her dad on the phone. The police give her permission. Yeah, and she has him yell at them. (laughs) And he answers. Yeah. Which is crazy. Never happens. And yeah, not only is he angry, the way the sudden inspiration came up, it made it sound like Nancy had a really good idea. But in the end, it's just like, oh, I'll have my dad take care of it. (laughs) Yeah. It's just so funny. Mr. Drew has also offered to take full responsibility for his daughter's appearance in court. Does this not please you, Sergeant? So they are no longer under house arrest. (laughs) Thank you, said Nancy. I'm going to try tracking down the person who's using my name on worthless checks. I don't really think she does try to track them down. (laughs) Bail is set at two angry relatives. Then she tips off the officers to the missing sheep. They were there at night, but they were gone in the morning. Then there was a croft. You'll find a dictionary there and an autograph. The police are now more sympathetic to her, but like later they, there is no dictionary and autograph. Yeah. I love, yeah. She's so specific about it. She's like, well, if you want proof (laughs) in the mountains, there is a croft in the croft. There's a dictionary under the dictionary, my signature. And then there's nothing. Nope. Nancy's heart sank. Another good lead has ended in failure. There are 50 missing sheep reported by a farmer nearby, though. It's like the first gang of criminals to clean up after themselves. He said they vanished like the little people of Fairy Bridge. What did the man mean by the little people of Fairy Bridge? Context clues. They vanished. Basically sprites or Welsh leprechauns, Fiona explains. Best said with a sigh, I wish we would meet charming characters like that nowadays instead of sheep and jewel thieves. Ouch, says Fiona. Ouch. <laughs> walked around the garden all chattering gaily except nancy why why are they in such a good mood well they didn't get arrested that's always nice george finally said to her what's on your mind nancy i'll bet you want to go back to that croft in the glen and do a little sleuthing yourself but you're afraid the police won't approve you've guessed it let's go anyhow george urged and that's the kind of friend you need yeah let's do it then Nancy said with a rueful grin, I've had enough trouble with the police, but I'll go if my great-grandmother gives her consent. <laughs> Lady Douglas, like, loves the idea for some reason. Solve this mystery, Nancy. Get it done. They drive out to this place, and they see smoke as they're driving up, and Fiona says, we have to get the brooms. And they're like, what are you talking about? Well, she leads them to this rack, 
at the edge of the field that has a bunch of birch brooms hanging from it. They all grab a broom and beat out the wildfire before it gets to the forest. Apparently, everyone in Scotland knows that if you see a fire, you grab a broom and you kick that fire's ass. The young firefighters leaned on their brooms wearily. They had saved the big trees. I'm sure glad that's over, said Bess. She would have liked to sit down and rest, but there was no place to do this. The foursome trudged back to the road. They noticed that everybody looks horrible and are like, I hope nobody no sees, one sees us like this. Yeah. And just then enter Anderson and Buchanan. I love what happens here. Anderson and Buchanan are so taken with the fact that this group of girls stopped to put out a forest fire. No one who's a thief or forger or criminal of any type would stop to put out a forest fire. You have proven your innocence, Nancy Drew. Yeah, Buchanan apologizes to her. Are all forgers such assholes that they'll let the forest burn around them? No, but I was surprised that the bad guys didn't start that fire. Yeah, there's no, like, I don't know what started that fire. Just a wildfire. It's like a sheep with a cigarette, I guess. I don't know. Nancy smiled at Buchanan. You were only doing your duty. Let's forget the whole thing, shall we? Mm-hmm. She'd, not, <laughs> she'd never forget. So happily, Anderson and Buchanan join them on their search of the croft. Bess points out that that phony shepherd who lived here was a good housekeeper anyway. The remark intrigued Nancy. The upshot of all this is they dig around in the ashes, find a bunch of trash, and the only important thing they find is a piece of canvas with a bunch of daubs of color on it that looks meaningless, but Nancy knows enough to keep a hold of it. Gosh, when have we seen (laughs) meaningless lines and, and colors on canvas? Who could say? Hmm. By the time they reached Douglas' house, she decided to try an experiment. She went on a search and collected several hand mirrors. What on earth are you doing, Nancy? Best demanded. Mm-hmm. Nancy replies that she has a hunch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the mirrors do not show a pretty picture. No, it's not going to work. You need the cylinder. That's how it works. <laughs> Perhaps we have the wrong arrangement, says Nancy. (laughs) Lady Douglas gives Nancy permission to take whatever mirror-like cylinder she can find in this household. (laughs) Just do do whatever arts and crafts with whatever you can find. I feel like Nancy did not even search that long. Like, there might have been a perfectly good mirror cylinder in their household. One sterling silver pitcher will do it. But she just settles for this goblet she finds. That isn't mirrored at all. It's crystal. And she asks her great-grandmother if she can paint it with quicksilver. Do you mind if I paint your... (laughs) crystal goblet to make a mirror get a paper towel roll what are you doing (laughs) something else lady douglas gives her permission yeah she's so dang rich what's one crystal yeah 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 yeah. and even goes so far as to say you know tweety has a lot of things like that lying around go ask him unfortunately tweety does not have quicksilver at this time so nancy decides to drive them all into town to buy some quicksilver on the way they see their good buddy the red bearded stranger driving along nancy set her jaw This time, he was not going to get away from her. She memorized the license number of his car and then set out in pursuit. The man was driving fast, and Nancy increased her own speed. For a few minutes, she was afraid she might be stopped by some constable. Presently, they both made it outside of town, and she knew she was fine. (laughs) 
Unfortunately, Nancy does not catch the red-bearded stranger because her car runs out of gas. Out of gas. Oh dear, she exclaimed in dismay. I'll have to stop for gas and we'll lose our man. (laughs) The words were hardly out of Nancy's mouth when her car coughed and came to a halt. She groaned. A lot of groaning in this book. That's so un-Nancy-like to run out of gas. George shrugged in resignation. (laughs) Well, that's that. Anyway, Nancy, you can't blame this car trouble on your unknown threateners. Thanks, George. (laughs) Yeah, it's my fault. Thanks, George. Like, we would have some words if you said anything like that to me. In that moment, especially? that's what I'm saying. Yeah, not the time. Nancy did not answer. (laughs) She slipped from the car and ran up the road to a house. The woman in the house lets her call the police, also recognizes her from the article... Also will not accept payment for the use of her phone. Yep. For once, I'm glad to be recognized, says Nancy. It's helped you a few times, Nance. Well, the police officer she gets on the line is called McNabb. And he says that her story is very interesting. And that <laughs> she should just come in and he'll send some people after that red-bearded stranger. But she should just come on in to talk to him. Yeah, well, let's find out. Okay, says Nancy. When the girls entered the building, they could have cried out for joy. Their quarry had been apprehended. We got him! (laughs) He is talking loudly in a manner of speech which proclaimed him to be an American and saying that he was innocent. Hey, I'm not what you guys got me here for. I'm not guilty of nothing. Sure, as I'm Sandy Duff, I'll make it hot for you if you don't let me out of here. Sandy Duff is a terrible fake name. Sandy Duff wheeled and faced the girl detective. His face went white. The officer said, I believe you know who Miss Drew is? Sandy Duff's arrogance quickly returned. I never saw her in my life, he shouted. At that moment, a constable walked into the room. George hurried over to him and said in a low tone, I think the prisoner is wearing false hair and whiskers. The constable smiled. He did not reply, but went up and whispered in Mr. McNabb's ear. I love you. Aye, we shall soon see, says McNabb. Sandy Duff objected strenuously, but to no avail. They pull off his wig, his fake sideburns, his fake beard, everything. I wish some of it was real. That would have been funny. The prisoner's own hair was black. A shock of black hair, would you say? Nancy was amazed. She cried out, It's Paul Petrie from my hometown! What, Nancy? What? Take the glasses off, it's Superman. I didn't do it, the prisoner snarled. Nancy paid no attention. Someone else put the wig on me. Paul Petrie's face was livid. I don't know what you're talking about. There's not a word of truth in any of it. I'm not Paul Petrie, and I demand to be released. He had no identification on him to prove who he was. Oh, small Smitri. <laughs> so this is the first book we've seen in a while where Nancy gets to truly interrogate like every single prisoner. Mm-hmm. And all of everything everyone did comes tumbling Falls out. together. And I'm not interested, <laughs> as usual. <laughs> McNabb tells Nancy that she's done an excellent bit of detective work. Praise embarrassed Nancy. Blushing, she said, may I use your telephone? (laughs) She calls to tell her grandma where she's been this whole time, since it was supposed to be a quick errand. Mm -hmm. She tells her, okay, I'm coming home now, but that is a lie. (laughs) Because Paul Petrie has agreed, if Nancy will talk to him, that he'll make a deal. He'll talk. 
the police specifically say, we can't let you go just because you talk, but if you do, it'll look better for you. Mm-hmm. Listeners, it won't. Don't talk to the police. Wait for your lawyer. They'll also, say that. It's not true. Also, Paul Petrie raises some unnecessary drama by telling them that Tweety is the one who took the heirloom. So funny. Tweety, Bess exclaimed aghast. He couldn't have taken Nancy's heirloom. Paul Petrie smirked. You think the butler is honest, but you'll find out. Nancy and her friends were thunderstruck by Petrie's accusation. All were skeptical, but had to admit they knew little about the servant. Could be true. So Nancy drove at fast speed all the way back home. Lady Douglas immediately says it can't be true, but then interrogates him anyways. Yeah, Lady Douglas really pushes Tweety to see if it's him. And when he adamantly says it wasn't him, she's like, yeah, okay, good. I knew that was true. But like, you really treated him for a second there like he had stolen it. You can't take that back, And it's so sad because he comes in and they're like, unsuspected. Of what he was about to hear, Tweety smiled pleasantly. <laughs> it's, it's just so sad that he gets so scared. I'm sure a little bit angry too. I would be. Let me let me briefly accuse you of being a thief while threatening your livelihood. Then Lady Douglas is like, "I was sure this would be your reply. I never doubted you. Then why did you? What? Yeah. Then why? Yeah. Then you put me through that. <laughs> Nancy has a hunch that when the police obtain a confession from Paul P they will also get a clue to the missing heroine. Mm-hmm. To show she had complete confidence in Tweety, Nancy asked him if he would help her make a mirror out of a goblet. Of all the ridiculous... I know I just accused you of being a thief, but can you help me with my little project? Hey, <laughs> I want you to know that I believe in you. And on that note, can you do my science homework? Can you do my project for me? Yeah. This time, with the mirror cylinder, Nancy could distinguish a tower of stones on the canvas. Lady Douglas and Tweety thought that the tower might be part of an ancient stone runes not far away. Tweety offers to guide them there. This would have been a perfect chance for him to get his revenge. Yeah. (laughs) So, I love that this goblet works so well. What is reflected is not only a a tower of stones, but a tower of stones so clearly a specific place that they're able to go there. Which also raises the question, what was this for? (laughs) Who... Who was this map for? Who was it made for? <laughs> like, at least the code is is telling someone something, right? Do each of the members of this gang go around with a cylindrical mirror in case they need to get a map read? Yeah, probably. It's implied. <laughs> I get right? The runes in the painting, to be fair, are very distinctive. They were called beehives because of their shape. <laughs> and Bess points out that they look like beehives with the tops chopped off. Thanks, Bess. They are also known as brocks and dated back to the prehistoric times. Nancy's thoughts turned to the mystery they were trying to solve. As they always will. The girls looked for clues. There were none. They were at the wrong... The wrong stack of rocks. (laughs) So not a great map anyway. (laughs) So they go to the next one. This one has clearly been used. Nancy decides this is the place. You think the sheep thieves used this place? Fiona asked. Yes, 
said Nancy. And this evidence indicates that they are not taking away live sheep. Ugh! groaned Bess in distaste. You mean the area around this brock might be a sheep graveyard? <laughs> Nancy did not reply, but Tweety slips away quietly, doing some investigating of his own. <laughs> Serious respect to Tweety for being like, you know, it's going to be gross for these girls to have to dig up sheep bones. <laughs> I'll go check for him. Like, I can handle it. And he does. And he comes back with a big old sheep skull. I'm afraid this is indeed a sheep graveyard. <laughs> the police agree to watch this brock in case anyone returns to it. The next day, the girls attended church services and awaited word from the police. And it was not until the following morning that they do hear from the police that nothing has happened. <laughs> Nancy decides they're not at the croft. They're not at the houseboat. They're not at the brock. They're holed up somewhere. And it's my idea that they're waiting for a signal. From whom? Fiona asked. Paul Petrie. So clearly they don't know he's in jail and are waiting for him to play the bagpipes in order to slaughter another group of sheep. You can't slaughter sheep without old Scotty one way. <laughs> The others were startled, but could see the logic of Nancy's deduction. I just had a brainstorm, Nancy declared. <laughs> Great-grandmother, I have a daring plan, but I hope you won't have any objections. She's gonna dress up in costume and play Scott LaHaye on the bagpipes. She will be the signal. Lady Douglas is just impressed that she knows how to play the bagpipes. And she's like, oh no, it's just the first few lines. <laughs> I mean, I just started a day ago, so. But she perfects it by the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Which is wholly unnecessary since Duar. He was very bad at since it. Since Petrie always was bad at mm -hmm. it. Um, luckily, Tweety is really into bagpipes and has a bunch that she can borrow. She gets to take her pick and borrow one from Tweety. I don't even know if he plays. He just likes them. And he fixes one of the canters into a whistle for her <laughs> as well. After playing the first phrase of Scott's Wahey several times, she did it like a professional. Not like she did it passively. She did it like a professional. <laughs> Near sunset, I'll climb the mountain to the spot where I saw the piper and play the two signals. And we'll see what happens. My signaling may start something. It sounds fine, said Bess, but I think we should take a couple of police officers with us for safety. <laughs> Lady Douglas agreed. She herself telephoned to the superintendent. Get us Anderson and Bracken. Yeah, it's good old Anderson and Buchanan, both carrying the detective's best friend. A gun! Binoculars! That's better. That makes sense. <laughs> Morag had packed them a picnic supper. That's <laughs> a hand and move. They sit at the campsite eating it. They proceed to go to the mountain. Anderson was carrying Nancy's bagpipes and talking with her animatedly in low tones. Hope, don't you freaking dare let Ned hear about this. <laughs> Bess giggled and whispered to George, Ned Nickerson, Ned Nickerson ought to see her now. Bet he'd be jealous. You ever get the feeling Bess just wants that relationship to crash and burn? <laughs> Every time there's another boy around, Bess is the one who's like, uh, 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 uh. I think that Bess is the only one that feels bad that Nancy treats Ned a little <laughs> bit coldly sometimes. Sure, 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 sure. So Nancy gets distracted on her walk up the mountain by a lone bleeding lamb who she goes to rescue and becomes cornered by a wild cat. Now you would think Nancy knew what to do with wild cats. We know all about wildcats. <laughs> and I guess she kind of does. What you do is yell a bunch and throw rocks at them. 
You say, go, Wildcat. <laughs> go. For a moment, Nancy panicked. She was scared she had given away that she was not Paul Petrie, who apparently rarely yells at Wildcats. Yeah, she had this moment of having to decide whether to save her own life from a Wildcat and potentially endanger her mission, or to just let... Just die. Just die, which would presumably also endanger her mission. Yeah, it's a tough choice. (laughs) Okay, so she does yell at it, throw a stone at it. The Wildcat leaped off the branch to keep from being hit, but did not attack. Apparently frightened, the beast turned tail and ran off. I don't need all this. Nancy, weak with relief, sat down beside the baby lamb. She gave her a hug and said, You go find your mother. Run, now. That lamb is dead. You d- what are you talking about, Nancy? She just sets it back into the woods. Yeah. Where the owls and stuff are. <laughs> That's... That lamb is dead. She told the lamb to go to its mother, okay? It's dead. (laughs) That is the extent of her responsibility. (laughs) All right, well, bye. And the funny thing is she went to save it, I guess, from the wildcat. She didn't know from what. She didn't know. And then saving it just meant go. So she could have done that to begin with. Yeah. Nancy told Anderson that she hoped her scheme for bringing the thieves into the open had not been ruined now. Mm. We must take that chance, said Anderson. I'm glad you weren't mauled. (laughs) Wow. I hope Ned doesn't find out that someone's glad that Nancy wasn't mauled. Nancy felt encouraged. Let's go, she said. Far below, in a natural hollow, stood a flock of sheep. Four shepherds were tending them. Buchanan handed his binoculars to Bess. Why Bess of all people? I don't know. But he hands them to Bess, who is to identify any of the men. It was fully a minute before she could get a good look, but she does identify Mr. Duar. Anderson, through his glasses, meanwhile, spots a large covered truck parked on a nearby country road. He's like, see ya, kids. Going in. We're gonna go do police stuff. George said... Leave the binoculars. I want to watch. Yeah, leave us the binoculars, at least. <laughs> Which I love. I would, I would want yeah, that, too. Yeah. Anderson laughed as he turned his over to her. Okay. Hey, and I don't blame you for wanting to watch. <laughs> might have to shoot someone, but okay. Here goes, said Nancy, finally. Nancy plays the music on the bagpipes. <laughs> George is looking through the binoculars and sees four men with some kind of guns and they're spraying the sheep. <laughs> Carl okay, thought... so yeah. I, so apparently these are like tranquilizer guns. <laughs> but I full on thought that George is just watching a whole flock of sheep being massacred. Just, <laughs> just sprayed with bullets. 
Which, first of all, bad for those hides, by the way. That can't be good for anything. And I'm just like, what? I, I don't know. I thought maybe it was out of spite. Like, they kind of knew it wasn't the right person. So they're like, screw these sheep. Like, I don't know. I was like, this is a messed up book. Nancy, Best and Fiona could vaguely made up, make out the scene below. And were horrified a minute later to see the animals toppling over. See, yeah, that's it's a messed up scene. <laughs> you think it takes a full minute for sheep to fall over once they've been machine gunned? <laughs> Maybe the ones in the middle. I don't know. <laughs> so then they pack all the sheep into the truck and drive away. Yep. The girls were speechless. Until Bess burst out, why didn't the inspector stop them? Perhaps, said Nancy, they're going to follow those men to get more evidence. Let's just go home and assume that's what's happening. Yeah, that's fair. We did it. We did our job. Nancy's great-grandmother was relieved to see them. She was astounded at the girl's story and said, my congratulations. Nancy smiled. Let's not celebrate until the case is ended. I still must locate the missing heirloom. Oh, yeah. That's just as important as... Hundreds of sheep. Dead sheep. The young sleuth found sleep impossible that night. She kept trying to figure out what Anderson and Buchanan had been doing. Finally, a thought came to her. Maybe they had an infrared camera that they were taking pictures of those men's activities with. What a, I mean, it's a weird specific thought, but maybe. She's right. Yes. Sure. <laughs> an early morning phone call from the police office confirmed Nancy's guess. At least they admitted it was a guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all the bad guys have been caught and had confessed to their part in mm. the sheep racket. We get that re- those really juicy confessions now. All those, well, he did this but i did this and you may be smart but i slipped into the courthouse with a stolen passport and mr duar is just in a rage he blames the glasgow hotel for mistaking their names which yeah to be fair also (laughs) why did you mr duar why did you stay in the same place as the person you're trying to like avoid what is this (laughs) you didn't even interact with her there you just played your bagpipes in the other room giving her another clue He's also mad that dumb Paul Petrie translated the directions into Gaelic. Yeah, I guess. It was just like one of those things where some, where a buddy on your team just overdoes it. He's just like, we didn't need this. At this point, Petrie was brought into the room. The superintendent ordered him to confess his part in the scheme. The American glared at Nancy. She's too smart. We get like a deliciously tedious reveal of what every Gaelic word in the secret code was referring to. She's smart, oh yes, but I sure gave her the slip in Edinburgh when I used a stolen pass to get into the court building. That was best, you idiot. Yeah. (laughs) And also, that's not that smart. Not that clever. (laughs) Well, Nancy says, which one of you has a wife who resembles me? Yeah, for the signature thing. Duar and Petrie exchanged glances. Finally, Petrie shrugged. I brought my wife over with me. With a little fixing up, she looks enough like your photograph on the magazine to pass for you. Nancy said she felt very sorry that Petrie's wife had been dragged into the men's dishonest activities. It's her idea. Nancy and the other girls were praised by the police officer for having solved the mystery. 
Never one to just accept praise, however, Nancy points out that none of this would have been possible without Ned Nickerson. Sure. Congratulate him for me, said the officer. Have you any more questions you would like to ask these prisoners? And yes, she would like to know where her brooch is at. To her surprise, Petrie says, it's at the bottom of the pond on Lady Douglas's estate. Yeah, best part of this whole case is they never actually stole the brooch. They tried to. Yeah, Lady Douglas did in fact drop the brooch outside. Petrie did pick it up. Startled by Champion the Watchdog, he accidentally tripped and threw it into the pond. Then he... Killed the dog. Sprayed the dog with too much anesthetic killing him and just left he did come back once that's why they found those deep boot prints to try to search the pond yeah but it was unsuccessful what is paul peter's connection to scotland doesn't he live in river heights yeah, the whole thing is between Mr. Duar and Paul Petrie, they have an international smuggling thing going I on. I guess. But I don't know why he now made the trip to Scotland. Why did he make it in the first place to steal the heirloom? I don't know that either. Well, he didn't try to, like, he didn't come to steal the... I know. Was what a... was he doing out in the boondocks? What was he doing there? I don't know. As Lady, as, right, as, as Lady Douglas said, people rarely come out here. So the thing is that Morag the maid blabbed that Miss Drew was coming to collect this brooch. Sure. So she told her friends and they told friends and eventually somehow Mr. Duar overheard that there was a really cool brooch and decided, hey, I'm in the neighborhood. I think it would be a profitable sideline for Petrie and me to steal the pen and divide the money we got for it. That's dumb as hell. Yes. It's the worst sideline yet. (laughs) (laughs) They went out of their way. The point is, yeah, they weren't in the neighborhood. Oh my god. But also the amount of luck that guy had to show up the one day she took it out of the safe. Yeah. But then only to, like, get startled by a dog and throw it into a pond. Yeah. Just the absurdity, yes. And then they basically said, "Uh uh-oh, now we're connected to this mystery Nancy Drew's coming to solve. We've got to stop her. And, like, why did you specifically choose a mystery? You you knew it was Miss Drew's heirloom. Mm -hmm. You're specifically stealing from the detective you wouldn't want to get involved with. Well, how were they to know? Maybe the picture hadn't come out. They didn't know how great she was yet. The upshot of all this is Petrie delivering to me what is one of the most chilling villain lines from any of the Nancy Drew books, in my opinion. I had my knockout spray gun with me. I gave the dog too much and he died. Something about no remorse. Yeah. Just like, I don't know. Messed up. Like even if he had stopped it, I gave the dog too much. That almost sounds like remorseful. Yeah. But he's just like, no, and he died. And he died. And I don't know, something about that did chill me, but also the knockout spray gun. Yeah, that sounds like that sounds like an Acme Corporation. <laughs> yes, yes, it does. <laughs> Device, yeah. The news electrified all the girls. <laughs> they can't wait to get home and search that pond, which they do. They all dress in their swimsuits and dive into the pond. Nancy's the one who finds it, of course, on her sixth dive. You have found it, Lady Douglas cried out ecstatically. Oh, Nancy, you have really earned this heirloom, and in a very hard way. May we all earn our heirlooms, you know, by by doing hard things the way God intended you to get an heirloom. Like, and all 
Oh, no. Love it. Love it. Like, disproportionate entirely. Yeah. Like, Bess, you also earned a brooch. Like, no. George, you should also have one. No, 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 no. George got a free trip. <laughs> Bess got a picture. They're fine. But great-grandmother, dear, this pin is so gorgeous, it's worth all the effort. Yeah. Nancy had decided to refrain from mentioning that Morag had told the story of the brooch to a friend. There seemed no point in upsetting anyone during these happy moments. Morag got away with it. She got away with being a gossip. It's so kind of her to not throw another servant under the bus. Lady Douglas, walking with Nancy back to the house, suddenly chuckled. In all the excitement, I forgot to tell you some very good news. Your father will be here in time for tea. Oh, wonderful! He can join in our celebration. When Nancy was ready for the party, she made an overseas call to Ned. As soon as he answered, she said excitedly, The mystery is solved! She gave a brief account and ended with, Now I'll have to give that little boy Johnny Bardo an autograph. (laughs) Sure thing, said Ned. And listen, don't you dare find another mystery until the June fraternity dance is over. (laughs) Jeez. I promise. Oh, well, what do you think that next mystery will be? For a few minutes, Nancy was silent, wondering what mystery might come her way next. She was to find out soon when challenged by the Phantom of Pine Hill. Which, honestly, the hauntings have been a little sparse lately. Yeah, sounds like a gated community, maybe? (laughs) A phantom of, like, of of a suburb? Presently, she looked at Bess and said, I have a confession to make. When I first learned that you had put my photograph in the contest and won... I was pissed as hell. I admit I was worried because of the publicity. But now I want to tell you that your idea turned out to be a very good one. Really? Said Bess. (laughs) Poor girl! Yes, Nancy replied, smiling. Your surprise was a wonderful help to me in finding the clue of the whistling bagpipes. You mean you're not mad at me for winning us a free trip? You're not mad at me for taking a gorgeous photo of you? Well, here's hoping that all you listeners enjoy the fame and fortune of Nancy Drew. I hope that the Pine Hill dwellers have as fun of accents as the Scotties do. I don't know anything they said in this whole book. (laughs) Uh, As always, I'm Carl. And I'm Hope. And there's only one thing to say. Go, Go, Wildcat! Get out of here! Go, go, Wildcat! Go! Scots from Bruce has often led Welcome to your gory bed Or to victory Now's the day and now's the hour See the front of battle hour See approach proud Edward's power Chains and slavery A traitor knave, what can fill a coward's grave? What say base as be a slave? Let him turn and flee. What for Scotland's king and law? Freedom's sword will strongly draw. Freeman stand or freeman for. Let him on with me. And pains by your sons in several chains. We will drain our dearest veins, but they shall be free. Lay the proud usurpers low, tyrants fall in every foe, liberties in every blow. Let us go for thee. 
need to have a special episode about this video game sometime. I have a we have a there's a host of video games we can um oh I don't know put them on our Patreon. Remember to support us at our Patreon. <laughs> you can email us at riverheightsradio at google.com or find our Patreon River Heights Radio. We'd really appreciate it. Instagram at River Heights Radio, Twitter at River Heights FM. River Heights Radio on Facebook and River Heights Radio on YouTube. Uh, and give us a review or five stars on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you're listening. Yeah, if you listen this far, I mean, why not? We actually put a, a lot of hours 